Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 94. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. So you've heard me talking on Therapy Chat recently about experiential therapies, experiential trainings I've attended, my interest in yoga therapy, and there have been several episodes about this. In episode 72, I interviewed Amy Weintraub, Yoga Therapy for Depression and Anxiety, And I recently went to a training. It was a three-day training at the end of April 2017 that was focused on using Amy Weintraub's Life Force Yoga together with the Internal Family Systems Model, IFS, to help trauma survivors and really anyone struggling with emotional pain. It was fabulous. Oh, my gosh. I'm just so in love with the idea of using yoga therapy. And I still plan to get training in life force yoga as soon as I can get that arranged. I'm now thinking to do it in September. I was going to do it at Kripalu in July, which would be starting today, actually. (laughs) I'm jealous for everyone who gets to be there, but I couldn't make it work with my schedule. Anyway, so that was episode 72 with Amy Weintraub. And then in episode... 75, I interviewed David Emerson about trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga. He leads the trauma sensitive yoga program at the trauma center at JRI, where he works with Bessel van der Kolk. And in episode 76, I shared my interview with David Shanahoff Khalsa, who has done a ton of research and is a practitioner of Kundalini Yoga for mental health. So yes, I'm obsessed with this topic, and rightly so, because I think body-based modalities are really important in trauma work. So you can imagine my excitement when I received an email from Norton Publishers about a book that was coming out. And I got this email last fall. The book is called Attachment-Based Yoga and Meditation for Trauma Recovery, Simple, Safe, and Effective Practices for Therapy, written by Deirdre Fay. And here on the back, the book has little reviews written by Janina Fisher, Dick Schwartz, the developer of IFS, and Amy Weintraub, who I was just talking about the life force yoga. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to get this book. I started reading it. And I admit I haven't finished it yet, as I have so many books to read. And probably the time I would be using to read more books, I'm spending podcasting. So (laughs) try to have a balance and do the best you can. But it is a wonderful book. And I'm honored today to share with you my interview with Deirdre Fay. She is a wonderful practitioner and is doing amazing work in the world. I think you're really going to 
be inspired by our interview as I was. So let's take a listen. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is going to be so wicked awesome as my guest is from Boston area and she she told me that that's a real good way to say it. Um, my guest today is Deirdre Fay. Deirdre, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Total pleasure of mine. Thank you, Laura. You're welcome. Deirdre is the author of the book, Attachment-Based Yoga and Meditation for Trauma Recovery. And I'm sure you have many other wonderful things that you do. So let's just start by, if you could tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and your work. Uh, Let's see. I'm currently a psychotherapist in private practice in Arlington, which is right outside of Boston. And I work with those with trauma and attachment wounding. I came into the field out of my own history. I, had, in the late 80s, went into uh, an ashram, a yoga ashram, in the Berkshires Kapala Yoga. And it was in that safe cocoon that my own trauma history came up, unbeknownst to me. And I uh, really went, it, was, it, was, it just threw me for a loop. I went from being able to be in my body, training for triathlons, doing yoga every day, meditating for hours, Suddenly not wanting to get out of bed. You know, my duvet was my best friend. And I just I, I just didn't want to see people. I didn't trust anybody. So it was really a hard adjustment. And I thought to myself, well, what the heck? What happened to me? You know, how come I was able to be so in my body before and I can't now? And yet if all the yoga, the not just yoga, but of all the ancient uh, traditions and the wisdom is that you can live safely in your body, well, you know what? I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted back. And so that just began the process of really exploring how do I live in my body? How do I put my mind together again? You know, how do I put the pieces back? And then I uh, went to Smith, got my master's degree in social work. And, and while I was doing that, I was working at McLean Hospital for one of my internships. And somebody heard that I had lived at Corpolo and asked me if I would come to the dissociative unit in the evenings and teach them yoga and meditation. And I said, sure. I didn't know what it would be like, but I was so game to share what I knew and had learned and what has helped me. Uh, So I got a lot of profound experience there. That was way before really anybody was working with trauma and attachment. Uh, And then Bessel Vanderkoll heard about the work I was doing and invited me to join his team. So I got a incredible training there and ended up supervising. Mm. It was during that time that I also created the Becoming Safely Embodied skills, which are now used internationally. People often just find the book and then work on it on their own or share it with their therapist. So that's been powerful to do. And then the next thing I really did is I took a workshop with uh, Dan Brown, my mentor in attachment, and uh, I realized this is the missing piece that I didn't have anything about. And so I joined a weekly study group that he did for over, I don't know how many years we did that, and then we went into a monthly, and then we ended up creating a book, which is Attachment Disturbances for Adults, which is out in my last year, last September. So we co-wrote that, and then at the same time, I was writing my other book. So it's been crazy, but good, and um, powerful to be of service to people. 
in the world. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. The experience that you've had and working with Bessel van der Kolk and bringing the attachment work into all of this. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, dissociation used to be seen as this kind of very rare, very, you know, kind of so far out of the, the normal range of mental health disorders kind of symptom. And now we know that, you know, there's such a spectrum of dissociation and people can be dissociative and not realize it and may not have full-blown DID, but I just imagine bringing yoga into that work at that hospital must have been an amazing help to the patients who were there at that time. I hope so. You know, I what I learned there is what I the, the kind of yoga that I could do having learned at it lived in the ashram was one thing, but then how to step it down and step it down into smaller and smaller bits. I also learned that how hard it is to be in the body and that I couldn't just translate a posture into something that somebody could do. I had to, again, step it way down. Like, how could they sit in their seat and do something? How, like, I remember doing, you know, using just as a, to try it out and experiment, the lion pose, which is where you extend your tongue. And just, like, nobody could do that. Nobody wanted to do it. It was triggering. And then we had to talk about it and explore. And so I learned, like, you know, just being in such collaborative experience with people about what worked and what didn't work and how to adapt yoga to to people's experience. So it was, it was such a gift, you know, when people let me into their worlds. I'm sure you know this, Laura. Mm-hmm. You know, let, they get close and they let me see and be with them in the most vulnerable places. And, and then together we find a way through to a, a greater sense of healing. That, that's... Um, Boy, is that really the best? It is. And of course, when someone has an attachment injury, trust is one of the hardest things. So it takes so much trust to allow someone to kind of witness your inner life and to trust them to try to help you move in a different direction when things seem really hopeless. Right. Beautiful. So can you talk about kind of how you got from there to here, you know, what you're doing now, what you do in your practice? Hmm. You know, um, gosh, that's such a good question. And I don't really have an easy answer. I feel like I just took one step at a time. I mean, there were plenty of times where I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? And then I'd be sort of guided to do the next thing. And I guess as a result, I really feel like I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this world, you know, mm. in this lifetime. And um, if I had my druthers, I might have designed it differently. But I feel like I'm really supposed to be working with changing how we deal with suffering and the transformative power of suffering. And so this upcoming course I'm doing, you know, all the things I've been learned and have been learning, I'm. And one of the, I do a lot of online courses, and one course I'm doing coming up in a few weeks is the a course on meditation and how to use them, not sitting meditation, but how to use the skills of meditation to help healing. And the reason why I'm bringing it up now is this idea of healing trauma is a modern-day bodhisattva training. That's really what I have come to believe, that suffering 
especially trauma, is, is something that we can heal from and that we actually, uh, it's instrumental in bringing out the best in us, which is so convoluted because we think when we're traumatized, we end up feeling the worst about ourselves. But I really believe that in working with it, we can transform that and the best of us comes out. And it comes out because we're remapping, repatterning inside ourselves what should have been there from the beginning, the, the basic foundations of security and connection, the sense of being feeling safe in the world, being safe physically and safe emotionally and psychologically, uh, learning how to be seen and known and how to attune to ourselves and attuning to other people so that other people have that sense of connection, uh, learning how to soothe and reassure myself so I have a felt sense of feeling comforted, knowing how to express delight in myself and in other people so I have a sense of self-worth and sense of valuing of myself, learning how to support myself and other people and let myself be supported, you know, let myself be guided and mentored and help do the same for other people. Um, and then probably one of the most important things is learning about conflict and repair and trusting that conflict is actually to help me get better in the world. And it's about healing, not a, it's about the, the relationship breaking apart so that it can get better and stronger, not so it, I'm at a loss or devastated. So I think those things are so essential. And those are what brought me to where I am. Yeah. And those, those concepts you just mentioned, I don't know about the people who are going to be listening to this, but for me, as you express them that way, for some of us, they may be things that we've never thought about at all. Like, do I feel safe in the world? What does that feel like? What does that feel like in my body? You know, and if, if you've never experienced it because you really don't have a secure attachment and you just don't know what it feels like not to be afraid, it's, it's a real, pretty much a mind-blowing concept to imagine being emotionally safe. So true. But anyone can get there. It's just a healing process that needs to occur. I, I agree completely. And I feel so strongly about it that that's, you know, that's why I, I do a lot of the things I do that don't even make that much money. It's just I want to find a way to help create healing in the world, just like you're doing, Laura, and I think so many people are doing. You know, it's it's a, it's a heart-centered, sacred endeavor more than trying to conquer the world. Yeah, it's not about power. <laughs> no, it's not about power. It's about empowering. There you go, Laura. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, gosh. that You're giving me chills. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? 
Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Some of the things that you talk about in this latest book are shame, developmental trauma, attachment, you know, which those three things kind of go hand in hand. Talk about self-compassion, parts work, and yoga therapy. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what people will find in your book and who it's for? All right, that's a good question. You know, Norton Publishing, they asked me to write this book, and they wanted it uh, oriented toward therapists, towards more academic approach. And I said, well, the only way I'd want to do it is to use my own voice, which I feel like is more heart-centered and more about uh, making sure we all feel connected. And in fact, there's a section in the, the chapter on shame. The publisher really wanted me to take some of the elements out. You know, like I was a little, not graphic, but, you know, I feel like I wrote about what it's like to have a shame attack and to be caught in that. And they wanted me to kind of clean it up. And I said, no, it's more important for me that people feel connected to and heard and seen through the writing, that they're not alone, than to whitewash it and make it nicer than it is. So pretty much what's in the book is, is designed, yes, for therapists, but more for all of us, for people. I try to make the language as understandable and relatable as possible so that the researcher, the thinking behind it was practical and relatable. Yeah, and because therapists are actually people too, (laughs) it, it should work well because as we read, you know, we don't want to be so clinically detached from the information we're learning that we don't realize that this applies to ourselves as well. Because I think, you know, for every therapist, we have to be self-aware and self-reflective if we want to be really able to truly connect and, and help people heal. You know, it's not just like we are doing something to our clients. We are, it's a collaborative process and we have to be in it as a person too. Right with you. Right with you on that. But I think, you know what, there, I think there's a little bit of a, I'm not sure how to say it, like a little bit of a split in the field where there are people that are wanting to be more academic and think about a little bit more removed in the Mm -hmm. old. Uh, I, I think of it as the old way of doing therapy. And then a whole new area opening where people crave connection and relationship and authenticity and realness. And sort of the wounded healer kind of approach, not that everybody has to be wounded, but 
that there's a sense of being connected to the suffering and, and not above it, not separate from it. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think that there's kind of a false separation that we, it's like, um, I've heard to take it away from the therapy realm. I've heard people say when doctors become patients and it's like, but a doctor is always a patient. Like, don't you go and get a physical and, you know, if you break your leg, don't you go somewhere and get someone to help you fix it? You don't, you're not a superhuman just because you happen to be in a helping profession and you're not supposed to be. But I think we kind of do get that message somewhere in our training that we're supposed to be not a person with the normal wants and needs and, and experiences. I'm with you there. But I mean, we can want not to be real authentic people, but you know, deep inside we still are. You can't, <laughs> you can't hide from it. You're human. Right. Right. Isn't that true? Thank you. We're really connected around that. Yeah. So one thing I think um, is somewhat of a misunderstanding about yoga therapy, and I think you alluded to this a little bit when you talked about your experience at the hospital, is that I used to think at one point that yoga therapy meant you're doing, you know, yoga poses for the therapy. But now I realize that there's much more to it. Yeah, you know, um, the way I look at it, and this might not be true for everything, is that my, I really believe in we might call more yoga psychology, mm-hmm. the framework around it all, rather than the implementation. I think there's lots of wonderful ways to do the implementation, but for me, it's more important for people to understand the incredible body-based trueness of it, that there is within us and around us and everywhere connecting all of us prana, and that prana is this life force which is literally everywhere all the time through everything. And we can't cut it down. We can't shut it down. And yet when we tr- when something happens and we tighten up or we feel hurt or we get constricted, we have these little knots in our energy bodies, our nervous system, our, fit, our feeling body, our physical body. And then prana, when it, it's used to just flowing freely everywhere, everything, when it hits up against a knot, it starts grinding away at that knot, trying to clean that knot. It's trying to get it out of the way so it can return back to it, to its wholeness, to its pureness. And yet that knot gets in the way. And so that grinding away of prana hitting up against that knot, that samskara, is what is so horrible and overwhelming. So it's thinking about yoga psychology in that way that has really helped so many of the people I work with and the trainings I run so that people can see like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what happens. You know, when water runs into a boulder, how can I actually let that water move around the boulder, help sort of clean that boulder off rather than getting trapped in that boulder like so many of us do. And we get caught in something, we spin and spin and spin and we don't, we can't get out of our own way. So it's in that way that I like to think of, uh, but I think of it as yoga psychology. Yeah. So like when people talk about feeling stuck, you know, trauma can be like stuck emotion, stuck energy, and it's just something that needs to be metabolized. Wonderful, Laura. Yeah. That's how I see it too. So 
I know some of the practices that you share are breath work and there's, there are meditations. Can you talk a little bit more about what, what types of things like that are in your book? Oh, great. Um, you know, I found, and probably you have too, Laura, that working with trauma and attachment wounding, that there's no set protocol. There's no one thing to do to help. It's like I have to have a really big toolbox. So what I wanted to do in the book was to have body practices, meditations, breathing practices, psychoeducational practices, art projects, anything that has helped people that I've worked with so that at any point you can dip into the toolbox and see what's there and and try it out because there's there's no set thing to do. Now, what I learned a lot years ago training in gestalt therapy is that you do experiments. You try something on. If it works, then that's great. If it doesn't work, you try something else. So I, I tried to have enough in there so that people could have um, practices that could work. Maybe not all of them work for them, but something's going to work. Yeah, I love it. Because again, with that cognitive part of ourselves, we want to have like an instruction manual from A to Z. First do this, then that, then this, then that. But, you know, there's too many variables involved to, to really be able to use those <laughs> those kinds of really manualized strategies with each person and have the person feel like you're attuned to them. So you talk about the true self, which is a yoga concept, right? Well, there's a sense of, you know, it's hard to find language for some of these things. And um, <laughs> in, in IFS, in the internal family systems model, we talk about it as self with a capital F. And some people like that. Some people, you know, the psychosynthesis has other language. Uh, and I, I really didn't know what the right language to fall down on. In yoga, we, there's the idea of the Atman, which is the there's many different levels of the soul. And the Atman is the highest, most can call it the most identified with this physical presence. And so there's that idea. And I thought, well, how do I say this? You know, how do I communicate this and find a simple word? So, you know, I was trying to find language that would fit across the board and not be exclusionary. And that's why I chose that. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think you're capturing one of the things about doing more developmental work, you know, and body-oriented work is that it's harder to verbalize the concepts (laughs) because it's that different part of your brain. It's more of the expressive part, not thinking part. Right. And then this whole area that they're beginning to do research on is the sense of what is consciousness. And if we're not just our brain, what, who, who is in the brain, you know, who is the person, not just the brain and not just the mechanisms. And uh, it's hard to find language to address that. Yeah, those are some really complex things to think about for sure. So another uh, point you brought up or actually a term you used when you were talking about your upcoming course is bodhisattva. Can you can you tell people what a bodhisattva is for anyone who isn't familiar with that? Uh, sure. A bodhisattva is somebody who has gone through the fire of suffering and 
emerge with compassion. And in fact, they are the Buddhas of the world that have chosen not to leave their bodies, but to stay and work on this plane with people to help other people heal, to, to be able to be with their suffering. And I really have come to believe that that's what, as I said earlier, that's what trauma is. Trauma is a doorway through which people can get to know their own suffering, but move through it, awaken to who they are, awaken to the power of their own compassion, their compassionate heart. And I really believe that we, any of those of us who've suffered in any form, that we are being called to create a foundation of healing and compassion in the world. And we're going to need it because there's so much difficult stuff going on in the world and so much acute suffering. And so I really feel like we're, we're being asked from a greater force, from our own hearts, from our own hearts that have chosen this to, to, uh, to help. So that's what I think bodhisattvas are. The, the whole idea is how to use trauma as a transformational tool. That's a, that's such a beautiful way of looking at it because no one would choose, no one wants to have experienced trauma. There's nothing enjoyable about it. And there's no desire to diminish how painful and unfair it is to have experienced trauma. And yet, because it's not, there's no all or nothing, even those traumatic experiences can be something that can enrich our lives. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely believe that. And uh, there was a time I was uh, training in yoga in, in India. And, you know, it's hot and they're sitting on concrete and it's crowded and there's, you know, it's not, not a comfortable environment. And I remember I was kind of spacing out, but there was the guru who was teaching us said, um, told a story. I write about this in the book. I, I like, I think about that story. I just snapped out of my reverie and, and listened. And he was saying this story about how in the Upanishads, which is one of the great texts of yoga, that a, the fetus is given its sort of instructions on what it's meant to do in this lifetime. And then through the pain and suffering of birth and coming through the birth canal of being emerging from the body and transitioning from the 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 mother's body into regular life, they forget what those instructions are and that the rest of our life is trying to remember that. It's all this huge process of remembering who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? And from that point of view, the, the idea is that from our highest self, the Atman, the, the most evolved sense of ourselves, we actually choose a lifetime and a set of circumstances to take birth and to, to learn some lessons. And, you know, there's, there's, that cosmology has some good points and some, you know, not good points. But I know when I was in my own process and trying to heal and slogging it out, it really helped me. It's like, okay, I'm not here just to be in pain. I'm here for a reason. I had no idea what the reason was. I couldn't make sense of it. I just, you know, it is. You're slogging it out and it's painful and hard. But it made a difference to me to think that I'm not here just to be in pain. I'm here 
to learn how to befriend this pain and this suffering so that something else could emerge, even if I don't quite know what that something else is. You know, I think one one way that people think about that is is the what meaning can you make of the suffering you've experienced? Right. right. Yes, indeed. Because if it was for no purpose and it's just for you to be miserable and feel horrible and suffer in pain, oh, right. that's hopeless feeling. That feels terrible. Let's think, just give it up. Right. I think that's where people are like, well, what's the point? And I think, you know, trauma can really make you feel like there is no meaning and there is no purpose. And so if you can get connected with what, what purpose there could be, I think it can be very healing just to be able to even have that perspective. I'm so with you. Yeah. So not to put you on the spot, but what would you say to someone who might be listening, who is in that place kind of where you were when you had all of your trauma kind of come crashing down on you when you were at Kripalu and, and they're not seeing what, how things could get better. What, what suggestion might you have for someone in that situation? Now, one of the things we all have to keep doing, whether we're in the most acute of our pain or at any point in life, is learning how to separate out the positive and the negative and turn toward the, the positive. One of the stories I tell is that I have a geranium in my office, which has the most beautiful leaves. I just love them. And, it's across the room from me, just in front of the, the window. And usually clients sit somewhere in that area. So when I would sit and be talking to people and listening to them, I would watch how my geranium would keep turning toward the, the window. And as many times as I would turn the geranium around to face me so I could see its beautiful leaves, by the end of the day, it had, the leaves had turned back around toward the light. And someday it just dawned on me. I thought, oh my God, that's what I need to do. That's what we need to do. We need to all turn for the warmth and the nourishment and just open to that and drink that in. And I thought, what what would that be like? What's it like to, instead of turning toward the dark or the sadness or the grief, what's it like to turn toward the light and the warmth? And then can I actually not just turn toward it, but can I open up? and receive that deeply into it. Can my cells be changed? You know, photosynthesis is the whole idea of, a, of what happens in a plant. But that means that not only are they exposing themselves to the light, but they have these receptors that allow taking that light in and that warmth and transforming it inside. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I say to myself even now, and that's what I would say to anybody is that even when you're suffering, find even 1%, one thing. The reason that you're listening to this podcast is you're looking for help. Let yourself reach for help. Let yourself reach for whatever warmth or kindness. But not only that, can you take that into your body? Do you hear something that makes you, that you resonate with? What's that like to take that resonance from outside and bring it inside? Can your little baby toe on your left foot, can it feel that resonance and tingle with it? And can your heart open? Can your, your, your spine relax around it? 
Mm. It's like the remembering that there is love and everything is not just the pain. Mm-hmm. That's right. 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 And from that, you know, we look at yoga. Yoga says the prana is always trying to return us back to ourselves. That's its only goal. That's the only reason prana exists is, is to return us back toward ourselves, to be one with, with everything. And so if we're in pain, how do I learn how to ride that prana Listen to that life force energy and let myself be returned. Returned. And that isn't a path of suffering. It's learning how to surf the suffering, ride the suffering, uh, and find compassion in it so that I, I can keep moving toward, toward and back to myself. There's an acupuncture actually in the Washington, D.C. area. Diane Conley, that's right, that's her name. She says, all sickness is homesickness. And we can think of that certainly with trauma. Mm. All trauma is really homesickness. How do I return back to myself? Yeah, that's, oh, wow. That's so powerful because that's what it is, is trauma makes you lose sight of who you are, the goodness that's there, right, always there. Right. And yet at the same time, it opens up our longing for more. Yeah. We want more. Oh, this is some really good food for thought. I know people are probably like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Didn't no. mean to freak you out. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Well, Deirdre, before we run out of time, let me ask you if you can tell people where they can find your book and it, your course, sure. all the good things you have going on. Uh, my book is on Amazon. That's the easiest way to get it. Um, my first name is hard to spell, so because there's too many R's in there. But uh, so, or you can look on my website, dfay.com, and there's the you can find a link for the book there. You can also sign up for my mailing list there, which is where you get all the information on the courses I do. This upcoming course on meditation skills, and then. I do uh, the Becoming Safely Embodied online course I'll run in the fall. And then um, I do a lot of other trainings and things that are all on there. So love to be in touch with people and connect. Always it's such a deep pleasure of mine. I'm definitely going to check out your your courses. And the Becoming Safely Embodied has definitely piqued my curiosity. So I need to find out more about it. Right. Love to have you there. Well, I will put a link to your website and all the resources you mentioned in the show notes for this episode so everyone can go and find it because I know you said your course starts very soon and this is going to air on July 13th, 2017. So when will when will your course start? The registration is opening on the I think we're opening it on the 20th. I just talked to everybody yesterday. Thursday the 20th. If all goes well, that's when it's open. <laughs> And then that'll probably start the Friday after. There'll be pre-course material on there, um, but then it'll start after that. Wonderful. Well, I hope some people who are listening will take advantage of the opportunity to sign up for that. I'm probably going to be one of them. So, Deirdre, thank you so much again for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you, Laura. Such an incredible honor and pleasure. I'm so excited that I was able to interview Deirdre Fay. 
I found it very powerful when she was talking about her experience at Kripalu having basically a breakdown when her trauma came crashing down on her. And she talks about this in her book as well. I hear from a lot of people who say, I meditate, I do yoga, I'm on a spiritual journey, and all of a sudden something is blocking me and I don't know what it is, but I realize that it's not something I can move through on my own. And so I think it's really powerful how she described that one can be working hard on their spiritual practices and their mindfulness and doing yoga every day. And suddenly they were fine, but then they're not. I think that's just really powerful to understand because so often we don't realize how we may be affected by trauma until suddenly we do. So I just want to emphasize one more time, especially for therapists, that Deirdre's latest book, Attachment-Based Yoga and Meditation for Trauma Recovery, is amazing. She talks about attachment theory and describes yogic philosophy. She talks about shame and self-compassion and how that shows up in the body. She talks about dissociation, something that's very, very important to understand if you work for people who have trauma. She talks about dissociation from an attachment perspective, which is absolutely fascinating. If you do trauma work, that is something very important. And she talks about how boundaries are affected by our sense of self. And then she talks about accessing your wisdom for internal, secure internal attachment. So self-compassion, parts work, attachment, yoga, breath, body. This is everything I use. Well, for me, the missing piece is the yoga therapy piece because I don't have training in that yet. But this book just blows me away. And I wanted to be sure that you caught that Deirdre has some courses online, including one that's coming up on July 20th, which you can find at her website, dfay, that's dfay.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, this is Laura Reagan. You may have heard my therapy chat interview with Charlotte Heiler Easley, LCSW, who's an EGALA and PATH certified psychotherapist offering equine assisted psychotherapy in Lexington, Kentucky, which aired last fall. Charlotte is doing beautiful work and I loved our conversation. In fact, it motivated me to begin spending time mounted and unmounted with horses. And I've been in love from the first moment. If you've been following Therapy Chat, you've probably heard some of my discussions about this in November and December of 2016. And if you missed our interview, you can listen by going to my website, therapychatpodcast.com and look for episode 56. That interview was very powerful for many people. And based on that, Charlotte and I have decided We want to offer two day-long retreats here in Maryland, combining my work with hers. So one day will be for therapists, and the other day is for anyone who wants to connect deeply within. Both days, we will be journeying inward to connect with ourselves and make connections with one another using elements of the Daring Way together with Charlotte's EAP work. If you're excited about this, 
please email me at laura at lauraregan.lcswc.com or go on therapychatpodcast.com and you will see a link to contact me. And I can add you to the list to be notified when registration opens. The dates and the site are now finalized. It will be taking place just outside of Annapolis on August 29th and 30th, 2017. August 29th is the day that's open for everyone. And August 30th is the day that is exclusively for therapists. By the time this airs, the registration link should be available on my website, lauraregan.lcswc.com. Look for where it says retreats and you will be able to find the link to sign up. If you have any trouble finding it, just email me at laura at lauraregan.lcswc.com. And if you do send me a message, you will be sent an email to register as well. I hope you can join us. We are so excited about this experience. Hey, if you want to know a little bit more about what we're going to be doing and how equine assisted psychotherapy helps contribute to experiencing a felt sense, check out last week's episode number 93, where I use some clips from different interviews I've conducted on Therapy Chat to illustrate what we're going to be doing. And you can go back and listen to my original interview with Charlotte Heiler Easley. Each of the two retreats are limited to eight participants, and I hope you'll join us. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.